Welcome to Series 3 of This Wildlife Podcast, a conservation podcast that brings you up to date with frontline conservation efforts from across the world. We talk with experts who have dedicated their lives to protect our beautiful planet. From wildlife vets, to bush pilots, to rangers leading anti-poaching operations, and those who work undercover to dismantle the illegal wildlife trade. We are This Wildlife Podcast, and we're here to bring the wild to you. Hello everyone, now before we head over to the episode, you may have seen me chatting on social media over the past few days about the British Podcast Awards. Now I really do not like asking, but needs must. The British Podcast Awards are coming up and you have the opportunity to vote for this wildlife conservation podcast for the listener's choice category. So please do support us and vote. It's super easy to cast your vote, just head to the British Podcast Awards online and you'll soon find instructions about what to do. Closing date is the 4th of July, so you don't have long. This isn't about me or the podcast, it's about all of our guests who continue to entertain, inspire and ignite a passion in us to take action in our own way. We must use every opportunity to keep banging the drum for our wildlife protectors. Thank you so much to everyone who's been so, so kind to vote. You're all amazing and it's been an excellent response so far, but let's keep pushing. welcome to everyone tuning in today as usual i'm amy turner and today's guest will be sure to open our eyes to issues that some never dare to face head on jamie joseph joins us today and she is the founder of saving the wild now i'll leave it up to jamie to explain exactly what she does but to set the scene in 2016 she began exposing a notorious rhino poaching syndicate led by the accused rhino poaching kingpin of zululand dumisani guala In 2017, Saving the Wild exposed the Blood Rhino Blacklist, a syndicate of allegedly corrupt magistrates and prosecutors. In 2018, Saving the Wild played a critical role in the arrest of Kruger Kingpin Petros Mabuza, a.k.a. Mr Big. Lastly, it's not only rhinos that Jamie strives to protect either. Saving the Wild has also turned to protect the last of the great elephant tuskers, of which there are only 20 left. This is going to be a jam-packed episode and for listeners at home who are wondering about what's coming up, I'll be asking Jamie about Saving the Wild, why she founded the charity, we'll also hear about the Blood Rhino Blacklist and towards the end of the episode, excitingly, I'll be putting the questions to Jamie that you at home have sent in. So Jamie, it's a real pleasure to have you here today. Oh, thank you for having me. To kick off then, please could you give us an insight into your charity, Saving the Wild? So Saving the Wild's mandate is to protect the extraordinary but vanishing. And it's split mostly between South Africa with the rhinos and in Kenya, protecting the Kamano Wildlife Corridor uh, through securing wildland through beekeeping, which includes the last great elephant tuskers. In South Africa, our mandate is really to pursue high-level targets uh, and fight organized crime. And that essentially means exposing and eliminating corruption, enabling rhino poaching. So how did you come to doing this work in the first place? 
So I began uh, in 2014 shattering bets and ranges on the front line and writing stories. I created this website, savingthewild.com. And you know, I was born in Zimbabwe and I grew up in South Africa and I was split between two countries growing up. So I already had friends. I, I was raised you know, in the bush. So I already had friends in conservation. And But through the, that first two years, I was really looking at tackling the poaching, uh, well, from the poaching crisis, tackling the poverty link to the poaching crisis. And so when I was in Kenya, for example, that's when I met my partner, uh, Big Life Foundation. Uh, you know, I worked with a, a, a tracker and a ranger that used to be a poacher. Uh, and he'd been transformed and the same uh, within Zambia. Uh, there were farmers who used to be poachers. And, and all of this made sense when you're dealing with elephant poaching and ivory. But when I came, came back to South Africa and started working on the rhino crisis, I realized that it didn't translate because the value of the rhino horn is worth so much money. And so we're dealing with a much um, more organized crime. And I soon realized that the only way we were ever going to save the rhino is by pursuing these high level targets and, and eliminating the corruption. And interestingly, Jamie, when we were off air, we were talking about your previous career with MSN and also on the music scene. I think people often believe that conservation is quite a closed environment, but you've come from a slightly different path. So perhaps you could explain a little bit about that. I grew up in South Africa and when I was a teenager, I was, and I'm not going to go deep into it right now because there's a, I'm writing a book and there's other things in progress and stuff, but I was exposed at a very young age to a criminal syndicate, a very powerful criminal syndicate, and it spanned over two years. For the record, I, I don't have a criminal record. I've never been arrested, but I had, I had, um, I saw it all. And and whether it was whether it was drugs or rhino horn, it's the same thing as corruption. You know, police officers get paid. You know, not all of them are corrupt, but dirty cops and magistrates, and nobody ever goes to jail. I saw a lot of violence. Um, I saw I saw things that a, a young person that age should never see, and I, I didn't realize it. But at the time, it shaped me for the wildlife activist that I would become twenty years later. Anyway, when I turned twenty, and that ended in a hail of bullets. But when I turned twenty, I, I you know I escaped thug life, and I was self taught and pretty, but pretty smart at school, even though I didn't attend that much. But um, I taught myself how to code, and then. I joined MSN in, in London and working for Microsoft. And we developed at the time the biggest web platform in the world and did that for five years and then went back to South Africa and started producing music festivals and like the townships of Soweto and Guguletu. And in the beginning, I was the only white person with thousands of, of people. And and um, and then, then my white friends started joining me and then other people started joining me. And it was this melting pot of culture and music and everybody just coming together and having a good time it was great and then um what happened after that oh through a, a, a twist of fate i uh i ended up in in new Ze i immigrated to new zealand um in start of 2009 and um then suddenly the poaching crisis hit and then i went back and so i've been working full-time on the poaching crisis since uh, 2014 
So that gives a background on your extraordinary life. And with that, we'll move on to something that you've been quite vocal about. And that is the blood rhino blacklist. Now, from my initial understanding, this relates to what you claim is a syndicate of corrupt magistrates and prosecutors who protect poachers and not prosecute them. There's also been a BBC documentary on this that led to the suspension of the KwaZulu-Natal court president. So Jamie, could you explain a bit more about what this list is? So I published my first story about the the poaching syndicate, the Gwala syndicate in January 2016. And it was called Rhino Poaching Kingpin and the Magistrate Who Keeps Him Out of Jail. And the next day the magistrate got a convenient cough or flu or whatever, and then he was removed. Um, but they never admit, admit that these people are corrupt. They just move them. That's that's what the South African gov- government does with everything. They just move people around. And then that basically continued, and I and I, I started going after more magistrates. And, and I knew that until we got to the situation where, you know, we had a – you see, Guala had been arrested many times before but he'd always gotten away with it. And, and this time he was arrested for dealing in rhino horn and attempted murder of a, of a police officer. And um, the only way we were ever going to get a conviction was if we could clean up the courts first. Um, and then a year later, uh, and this is like something out of a movie, <laughs> we get this message to go um, and, and pick up this person at a, at a mall, basically. And I realize that it's the relative of Guala's lawyer. And when I go there, um, the prosecutor, the state prosecutor said, you better take the investigating police officer with you. So I had the Hawks officer come with me. We picked him up, took him to the police station. And then he basically said, you know, this is who I am. I am the nephew of Ninguenya, and I've been his assistant for the last two years. And I've been instructed by my uncle to pay off all these magistrates and prosecutors, which I have done in the back of toilets, on the streets. They come to the back to the house, they get wasted, they drink Hennessy, they get stoned. And I'm here to hand myself in. And so that was the next step. And then you're like, like you're sitting there and you're like, what? And he knew everything. But he knew more than what we knew. Like we knew about the corruption, but we had no idea how bad it was. Like, and and you just wouldn't know about this stuff unless you were there. But we went through the process. We spent the next seven months polygraphing him. Um, and then he he wrote a sworn affidavit. Then another police investigating officer who was already involved in, in investigating the court president, because there's two layers of corruption. He then investigated every um, event within the sworn affidavit. And he said, look, there's no way he could have made any of this up. And then... I published the Blood Rhino Blacklist in October 2017, and and then that's when things really started to come together. And so, Jamie, why why did he hand himself in? Because his uncle was stupid, and he didn't look after him. He didn't he he, he didn't pay him, and he took away his clothes. And the thing is, this this he, when I when I say he's a kid, he's he's in his like he's late twenties now, but. In in Zulu culture, he's young. Somebody in his twenties is young, and that he didn't didn't treat him nicely. He's epileptic. He doesn't drink. He doesn't do drugs. You know, so he wasn't part of that whole thug life. He didn't even know his uncle was a criminal when he got the job. He just kind of got sucked into it. You know, if his uncle, you know, he's not that innocent. The reason why he handed himself in, you know, was because of a, a child was actually raped, and he was like, you know, the rhino thing. 
he was told rhinos are just cows. You know, he'd never seen a, a rhino in his life before. He was a city boy, and he, you know, he'd he'd been to a private school, like well educated, but not a city boy. Like when I eventually took him into into the bush with him with with me, and when the BBC interviewed him, like there he is chasing giraffes. I was like, don't run after the animals. <laughs> um, but you know, the, the thing is, like he 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 really he's not a criminal like he he just kind of kind of got sucked into this thing and he wanted out but the breaking point was when that child was raped because they when he had to to pay off the prosecutors and so that's when it was like you know you, he drew the line second part is while all this was happening i was working with a with a, a, a hawks detective like the hero rhino cop of zululand i mean when this man was suspended later fired i mean poaching just skyrocketed in Zulaland. It was the greatest tragedy of the poaching crisis is that the, our best men are always persecuted for pursuing high-level targets. And so, like, six months before they fired him, he said, look, there's only a matter of time before they fire me. I said, I need to hand you over to somebody else now. So I was handed over to my current police handler. And then he was already investigating um, the, uh, the, the top target, the court president. Now, the court president... Um, Eric Zamundi, um, he was so arrogant that he wasn't handling everything in cash. So some of the money was cash, like he'd, he'd do lots of trips to Zululand. There was no reason to go to Zululand. But he, the magistrates were paying for their positions and they were putting money into his bank account, not his salary bank account, a different bank account. So then the bank accounts were subpoenaed. So we had, on my level, we were working on the street, we were working with informers and whistleblowers and gathering all this information. And then there was all the bank accounts and then the magistrate's investigative, um, a very senior magistrate was doing the investigation parallel to um, the police detective on that level. And then when the BBC um, documentary came out, um, that kind of forced the hand of government because then they were exposed. And it wasn't just BBC. Sam Sol is an award-winning journalist. He got hold of the leaked magistrate's report. I wonder who gave it to him. And then he basically published this 5,000-word story. And, um, and, and it published the bank accounts with and people like Wallace, lawyers, uh, Nguyenia and Linda, putting money into the court president's bank account and other people. So the evidence is all out there. You know, it's, 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 it's all there in black and white. And then he was laundering the money through the casino and on and on and on it goes. And it doesn't just involve rhino poaching. It involves human trafficking and, and a bunch of other crimes. And so Parliament had no choice but to suspend him, and that would have been in October 2018. Then a few weeks ago, charges have jumped from 50 to 112, and he is still suspended, sitting on his couch with full pay. I think they even pay his cell phone. And we're now waiting for the disciplinary hearing. And all these magistrates and prosecutors who put money into his bank account is going to have to take the stand and explain why. I just want to say it wasn't just me. Stop Rhino Poaching also said something, and I was so proud of them for doing it. You know, like straight after Kruger um, lost 70% of their rhinos, oh, it was announced that they'd lost 70% of their rhinos. Um, you know, Stop Rhino Poaching also went public and said um, very blatantly was just that they did not mince their words. And they, they were, were a major funder of Kruger, and they said, you know, they pretty much what I've been saying is that they, they're happy to keep taking people's money and they'll take their donations and they'll take public funding, but they'll never deal with the devil within. And they do not support their rangers, you know, and, and yeah, they, we basically echoed, um, 
what, what's coming from the field is that the corruption is driving Kruger's rhinos into the ground and it's it's just they're being slaughtered and the the rangers are, are being forced to work with criminals. So another topic that you've been vocal about involves Don English, the regional ranger of the intensive protection zone in Kruger National Park. On your social media, you say that Don English could be moved away from the intensive protective zone, leading to more poaching. So could you please explain what your thoughts are on this? So, you know, what Saving the Wild does that's unique to to most charities, there's, there's a few charities in the world that do it, but like certainly in South Africa, is unique is that we we run intel networks and we support intel networks whether it's in south africa or on the mozambique side and somebody who are whose path i would obviously cross again and again and again is don english who's the most senior um ranger in kruger he's the regional ranger and the section rangers report to him and he's got everybody um who are counting on him because he's he is he is he is the the white shangon he has the trust of the shangon of the people in the community he grew up in kruger from the earth and he is the master of intelligence so when this intel is coming in it's not like we're dealing with oh we're just going to move another ranger to the north where there's no rhinos we're moving the intel and so he wouldn't if he's moved to the north he can't warn his rangers that the poachers are coming and we're dealing with a park that is the size of a small country. So uh, you need that intel. You're not going to just bump into poachers. So occasionally, sure, but for the most part, you know, this is the the game changer for anything really is is intel network. So that's why I had to go public and, and say something. And Jamie, the corruption that you speak of with regards to poaching, in your opinion, has this corruption always been there or is it recent? And, and do you think it's getting worse? Worse in the last two years. More so around about the time when uh, when we arrested Mashengu. So Mashengu, as people know, is Mr. Big or Petrus Mabuza. So Saving the Wild ran the intel and then Hawks made the arrest. So it was actually my informer that sold the rhino horn to him. And we talk about money and, and, and the value of rhino horn, he sold that horn for, in the presence of an undercover Hawks officer, I think it was 220,000 or 240,000 rand. So that's about 20,000 US dollars for like one rhino horn. And I noticed from that point onwards, like when he was locked up in jail before he got bail, this is poaching just stopped. And that shows the power of, of arresting these kingpins. The problem is we arrest them and then they get bail. And it's the same with Guala and Zululand. Like we fought so hard to get him to a trial, but then he drags trial out. I mean, every single time it's been dragging on for years, he coughs, his lawyer coughs, his other lawyer coughs, and they get a headache, then they have sore feet. Somebody pretends to lose their mind. It just goes on and on and on and on. Um, but yeah, there's been a real increase in internal corruption since, since his arrest. Uh, so I'd say two to three years. Okay, and my last question, before we move on to our listener questions. I want to talk to you about elephants, specifically a new documentary that is coming out that looks pretty spectacular. So please, could you shed light on, on this documentary of yours? So excited, I'm excited. Okay, so, so I don't actually enjoy fighting corruption. It's like getting the hell kicked out of you for years and then every now and then you win. 
you know, and it, it's awful, but I do it because, well, nobody else wants to do it. So I'm kind of stuck with that and I'll keep doing it because so long as the Rangers keep fighting, I'll, I'll keep fighting. I mean, you look at the horrific conditions that they, they have to work in, then, I mean, that's the very least I can do. But there is joy in my life. And we're producing our, we're starting to produce short films now. We, we produced our first short film with an Academy Award winning team. And uh, it's uh, Park Road Post in New Zealand who, who brought us incredible films like uh, Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit and Avatar. It was such a dream come true working with them. We've just wrapped on the film and we're about to launch, you know, so... Yeah, I mean, by the time the podcast airs, I think we would have actually launched by then. And it's it's just a short film. It's 12 minutes and it was shot in, in Amboseli, in the greater Amboseli ecosystem and Kamana Wildlife Corridor. We're saving the wild is rolling out beehives uh, with our partner, Big Life Foundation, to keep wildland wild. But the, the best part is that I got to spend, um, you know, two and a half months with these, these Tuskers, these big Tuskers, Tolstoy and Craig. He, Craig is actually incredible the coolest elephant i've ever met very chilled and he's actually the star of the film there's no humans humans are boring so and it's shot in 8k I, i'm like i'm so excited about this film everybody's gonna love it uh, like just for the visuals because you just wanted to see elephants feet walking because park road just they sound engineering the color grading is so good um and i'm just very and, oh and then jaiman honzo who is um two times academy nominee who you would know from Blood Diamond or Gladiator. He's narrating it. I mean, it was just a just such a dream come true working with him. Like when I saw him in Blood Diamond, like I wasn't even looking at Leo DiCaprio. I mean, Jarman was it for me. Like he was just such presence. And um, you know, he's become a friend. And I was just on the phone to him a couple of days ago and talking about the Rhino crisis. And you know, he's there to support me, whatever I need. Um, but the thing about Commander Tuskers is. I wanted to create a film that that is an advocacy tool um, to alert to the world that this is a vanishing landscape and if we don't start to protect it it's gone forever so yeah i'm still trying to find out locations on, on where to screen it it's obviously difficult with you know this present day but um just uh, go to kamanatuskers.org and um yeah we're going to make it work I must say, it sounds incredible. I love the sound of that and, and definitely one to watch. Now, moving on to our listeners' questions then. We've had so many and I've got a long list of questions here. So let's see if we can get through some of them within the time. So the first question is, how can the general public hold governments to account over corruption, specifically with regards to wildlife protection? I think this last run we've had with Kruger, um, the last few weeks where... Saving the Wild was putting out stories, the press would pick up on it, they would force Sand Parks to make a statement, and then it would go back to me, and then I'll say something. So it started off with Don English and moving him to the north, and then I was like, okay, well, what about the internal corruption? Why don't you introduce polygraphs? The reason why we succeeded, and to the point where now Sand Parks is on the back foot, and they went from like, we're not talking about it, like this is like, we're just not even discussing it, to okay, we'll, we'll introduce polygraphs, that's no problem. Like we're involved with the labor now and is because of public pressure. Like Saving the Wild can just put a story out, but it's really up to the, the public to to push and push and push, write letters. But most of all, like the, 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 the void really is that we need more rhino charities, to, actually any rhino charities to get behind it. Like, And so the best thing that you can do to, to hold people accountable is to 
to write to your rhino charity and, and ask them to to make a stand against corruption because we're running out of time. There's not many rhinos left and it's it's just it's dragged on for too long now. And that leads me on to my next question that someone's asked is why are large charities perhaps reluctant to support your fight? I'm not it's not it's just, I'm at the I'm at the Okay, I'm leading the charge, I suppose. Like I'm the I'm the foghorn, you know, fighting corruption. There's lots of people that are quietly doing it in a different way. Um, as far as the the big money charities, you know, the ones that are raking in millions of dollars, they've got so much brand recognition. They've been around for so long. They can just post a photograph on Facebook, and 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 I notice this all the time when when I hit my feed or on Instagram or Facebook, and they'll have this really beautiful photo of a rhino that says, "Please help us save the rhino. Make a donation." And and people just donate. And, and it's the most incredible thing. Now, the, I, I think the reason why they don't share stuff from Saving the Wild is maybe they, they threatened that maybe we'll get donations. But I promise you, nobody donates to us. We've had like, I don't know, maybe and I can count in one hand, like how many people have donated from social media this year. Like we don't ask and we don't get all we want is is for charities to just put the word out there that the corruption is driving the rhinos into extinction. Um, Happy to share information with them if there's anything that they need to know that they're unsure about. Um, you know, maybe that's also part of it that they don't know, know. But you know, these guys that have been in it for so long, they they know. You know, they, and they they really need to make a stand now. Like we really are down to the last. Okay, next question. So from the outside, it looks like you are a whistleblower, an investigative journalist, conservationist, voice for the voiceless. Jamie, would you agree with that description? I would say I'm a wildlife activist that can write. A journalist gets paid like a salary every month. Most of the time, there's not enough money to pay me. Um, and it's my fault because I didn't manage the budget. But, I, you know, I always there's always something I want to spend the money on before myself. And, and it's taking down bad guys. And and I suppose that's, that's priceless, really. And um, so, yeah, I don't consider myself a, a, a journalist, but... Certainly, as far as the wildlife activist goes, um, I work with informers, whistleblowers, rangers, police, wildlife investigators, and and it's my job to protect their secrets. You know, if if I fail them, they're going to lose their job, or or they're going to get taken out. And a big theme in the questions that we've got is to do with your own safety. So one such question was, does she fear for her own life in fighting organised crime? Um, sometimes. <laughs> like, I mean, the, the problem for me, the biggest problem is, is, um, is going to court. You know, I've lost count how many times I've been to court. And like, I'll give you an example. Um, I was... I don't know, it's the 30th time I'd been to Guala's trial. And it was so interesting because the day he decided the trial was going to start, because, you know, he's got the one calling the shots, not, not, the, not the magistrate. He, all these, these, like these Mercedes arrived and this guy came out and he's all dressed in like a suit and like looking like a proper thug. And, um, and he just rushed over and started screaming and then he attacked me. And I got pushed up against the, this police van, but fortunately I had two, my two CPOs with me too. So only time I travel with a security detail is when I go to court because it's the only time people know where I am. The rest of the time, I don't, I don't have, I don't own anything. I don't, you know, I don't live anywhere. I, so I'm pretty much untraceable and I take precautions, but at court they can come for me. And so my, my two, my two CPOs, 
managed to push him back. And then I was pushed up against the police vehicle and the police were sitting in the, in the truck doing nothing, just watching, watching this whole thing go down. Anyway, they managed to just, just kind of get him back. And then more people arrived and he was, he, anyway, then his link while his lawyer started having a go and it just carried on and on. And, and during this whole thing, I, I'm not allowed to speak or say anything. Anyway, I found out afterwards that this was um, uh, Guala's business partner. He was actually part of the whole um, Hawks investigation, and he he was. Um, and and when I, I when I t- checked out his police charge sheet, I mean, he's just been arrested three times for murder, 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 and he always gets off. And um, and I was like, this is this is pretty brazen. Um, and and then now he's he I published his you know in, in response I published a photograph of him like literally going for my neck, and his response was to um, charge me with uh, he tried to get me charged with defamation of character or something like that, or hurting his feelings, so I did it again, <laughs> and and, um, and that's kind of where we left it at. So even though like it does bother me because. Because they do come with weapons when they come to court, and and, and it's not just that; it's when you exit. Um, but you you can't you can't retract. If somebody pushes you, you got to push back. And I I can't be physical about it because they'll charge me with assault. And um, like literally, they would if I pushed back, they would they would accuse me of assault. Um, so I just got to take it, take it, take it, and then just keep fighting it in the media. So another question I have here is how can you have a happy life knowing the cruelty that is happening out there? Do you think I have a temper? <laughs> no. Okay. I have a terrible <laughs> temper. Terrible. Like I, I contain it, but if I get angry, like all this bad stuff that goes on, of course I get angry. I get really angry, you know, like and we all we all vent, but not publicly. But you know, we have our ways of, of dealing with that. And then and then you go out there and you, and you spend time in the wild and you just, you can't help but be happy because you just think, my God, what an incredible life I have to spend all this time with these amazing wild animals. So yeah, the, the, there was the anger, but then there was all the, the extraordinary things you see in nature that fuels you. Okay, next question. Where is your favorite place in Southern Africa? There's, well, Southern Africa, it would be the Zambezi Valley in, uh, in Zimbabwe, just because it's wild, you know, as, as much as I enjoy my time in Kenya, it's like, and when I was making this film, Kamana Tuskers, like you wake up on a Sunday and you hear people at church. And then on, during the weekdays, you hear the trucks go by. You, you, you're watching the world's most famous elephant, Craig. I've watched him cross the road and I'm thinking he's looking left and right. And there's, you know, all these cars going past. It's insane. You know, like I want to be somewhere where I just feel there's no human footprint. You know, when you if you can go deep into the valley, you find that. And also the Zambezi River just it speaks to me. And you know, I, I don't know. I don't know if it's because I was born there, but um, it is. It, it definitely speaks to my soul. And a slightly less serious question coming coming up now: If you could be any animal, what would you be? <laughs> Of course, my spirit animal. I'd be a leopard, stealth and elusive. And you know, when a leopard attacks, she goes straight for the jugular. There's a question here. Why do you think that the government isn't tackling wildlife crime? Is it purely internal corruption or is there just a sense that they just don't care about their own wildlife? Uh, Corruption, they don't care and incompetence. Some people care, 
but not enough. And and there's not, only there's so few people fighting corruption, so they can just get away with it. Until until the people fight corruption, it's a losing battle, to be honest. But we're chipping, we're chipping away. It's going to take longer. Okay, so on to the next question. You've been battling corruption for many, many years. Do you view the next 10 years with positivity or are you scared? I'm absolutely positive uh, because even though, like, you know, I've been in it for like six, seven years, I see the results. So all the people that I expose, the magistrates and the prosecutors, they're behaving themselves now. They might not have been arrested, but they've lost all their power. So they're not taking bribes anymore. So that's already a big win. Um, the kingpins are on their back on the back foot, uh, and there's also something that we're working on over the next few months. And if Saving the World can pull it off, it will be the biggest spotlight that the runners have ever seen. So that's what we need. We need media. If people want to help, we need media. We need to force the hand of government. They're not going to do it nicely. Next question is. Do you have any advice for those who wish to fight against the illegal wildlife trade and wildlife crime? Again, as far as the illegal wildlife trade, I can really only speak about the rhinos because I'm not that involved in the ivory side or other trafficking, but it, it's same for, for it's same for everything. If we lose the war on corruption, we lose the war on everything. And, and it's just not a conversation that people seem to have. I mean, you've been doing this uh, podcast for a while now. I've listened to a few of them and, you know, I don't want to get sad and talk about it too much, but I listened to Rory's podcast and he spoke about the corruption and it is the number one factor driving these animals into extinction. So we have to change the conversation. People need to, to go to their charities and say, why are you not standing up to corruption and, and write letters to places like sand parks? Why are you not dealing with the internal corruption? You just got to change the conversation. And so I think we're going to have to leave it there today due to time. But do you have a last closing message for everyone who has tuned in today? Yeah, I just, you know, I just want to, I just want to say thank you to, to everybody in the last few weeks who have been sharing our stories about the internal corruption in Kruger and, and standing with the Kruger Rangers who are being forced to work with criminals. Like just on behalf of the Rangers, we, we're, we're really grateful. I just want to say thank you. Jamie, thank you very much for your time today. I'm going to be looking out for your newest documentary, Commander Tuskers, with lots of excitement. I'm sure it's going to be an epic watch. Thanks again. Thank you. Since recording, there have been some important updates with regards to accused rhino poaching kingpin Petros Mabuza. Mabuza was killed last week in Hazyview, South Africa. You've listened to This Wildlife Podcast, hosted and produced by Amy Turner and David Grant. To get updates on previous and upcoming guests, you can check us out on Instagram and Facebook. We want these vital conservation messages shed far and wide. So, if you fancy it, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and please do subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on. It's awesome to have you along on this journey with us. We are This Wildlife Podcast and we're here to bring the wild to you.